Welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Leslie Osmond, and there's a lot of volatility going on in the markets. We've been on quite the roller coaster ride. Did you see yesterday's plunge? And today the market's sliding as well. During this turbulent time, we have a couple of guests that will share their market insights, as well as some insights on retail, inflation, and consumer spending. We'll cover these topics and more in today's episode. Here to kick things off is our very own Seeking Alphas, Kim Khan, Managing Editor. Kim, nice to have you. Hi, Leslie. Yeah, and in a word, oof. I mean, it was it was a really tough day yesterday for the markets, and I think that yeah, the big thing was everybody was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and the other shoe dropped, and it was a boot. And it was like everyone expected technology stocks to, to come off their highs, but then it was the retail sector. So we had on Monday, Walmart having its worst decline since the crash of 87. Tuesday, we had Target has its worst decline since the crash of 87. So everybody's worried about recession, the consumer, the spending ability. It's, it's, it's a really tough outlook out there. Well, with, with the rise in retail spending for the fourth straight month uh, to a seasonally adjusted 0.9%, and these retailers uh, essentially taking a hit on their profits, if consumers are spending in the stores, they're not spending in the stores, where are they spending? Oh, they're definitely spending in the stores. I mean, if you looked at uh, the, the company, the top line growth was fine. The problem was that, you know, these big retailers like Target and um, Walmart weren't expecting um, the cost hikes that they got. And that's a supply chain issue. That's an inflation issue. But that's also a preparation issue for these for these companies that they they kind of figured that, you know, the kind of spending that they saw on high ticket items um, you know, during lockdown, we're going to you know, was going to continue and it didn't. And and we, we hear about consumer confidence falling, um, yet they're still spending. At what point does the consumer confidence or the sentiment match the spending trend? Well, I mean, for one point, I mean, I, I kind of have a problem with consumer confidence in a way because it's, <laughs> it's become such an almost proxy for whether you like the president or not. And, you know, that is a that you know so sentiments always down um from one political party to another but yes sentiment is down consumers are cautious when it comes down i think is it's a bit of um pent-up demand we've had two years of lockdown so people are out spending when they go and say maybe that second vacation um and they see how high airfares have come up maybe they think again another thing is like people uh, is don't realize is like there's a lot of paper wealth created during that time where uh, the um, you know meme stocks and and cryptocurrencies were giving people a lot of confidence so you know yeah they go into to target and they say yeah I, i've got like you know maybe a hundred thousand dollars in the bank crypto now that's down to thirty three thousand dollars right maybe these prices don't you know appeal to me i'll go back to shopping how it were Okay. With the CPI and retail figures, in terms of the Fed's reaction, what, what do you think the Fed, or how do you think the Fed's reacting towards man monetary policy now? I think the Fed loves this. I mean, the Fed's idea is to tighten financial conditions and stock market going down is the toughest one they have. I mean, you know, they, they seem to have like uh, given them, gotten, given the message to the bond market that like 10 year won't go over 3% too much. 
now they've got to focus on um, equities. And I think that, you know, a fall will be fine for them. Um, a recent survey from B of A of a fund manager said, like, uh, you know, the apocryphal uh, Fed put doesn't come into play until around 3,500 on the S&P. So I, I think that they're very safe to keep going with 50 basis points, as they've been saying. Kim, great insights. We are going to take a brief break and come back with our next guest. Is your portfolio not taking off? Maybe there are some duds keeping it down. New on SeekingAlpha.com. Stock warnings. Lose the duds and let your portfolio take off. Seeking Alpha stock warnings. Check it out. Joining us today to give her takes on the markets is our headliner, Nancy Davis, founder and chief investment officer of Quadratic Capital Management. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for having me. So interest rates are clearly headline news. And I've seen you talk about the rates markets even before they were cool. Why do you <laughs> believe the rates markets are important for investors? And what are your thoughts on the Fed's confidence this week in bringing down inflation? Well, it's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that, actually. Um, so I think that interest rate markets are super important to everybody because it's the largest asset class in the world. Um, many people don't realize how large the rates market is, but the rates market is actually about five times bigger than the U.S. stock market. And I feel like stocks get a lot of attention and corporates get a lot of attention because their stories and their narratives. And it's kind of boring to talk about interest rates, um, at least for the last, you know, call it 30 years. But I think right now we're in a really exciting time for investors to add interest rate exposure to their portfolios. Because if you think about it, most of us do have rate risk if we are um, homeowners. You know, housing is very dependent on mortgage lending, which is very dependent on interest rates. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been fun to try to educate investors to say, like, oh, this is a different asset costs. It's probably not something you already have. It tends, at least Ival, um, we just crossed our three-year track record. At least historically, it's tended to not be correlated with stocks and bonds because it's, you know, it's just something else with inflation and the rates market. So when you just mentioned, um, because your, your ETF is great for diversification, um, the ticker symbol is IVOL, the quadratic interest rate volatility and inflation hedge. It's quite a mouthful. It's a mouthful. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Bert. <laughs> Tell us about IVOL, uh, given that it's mostly tips and options on interest rates. Yeah. So our, our big premise, and this may be just a quick story. When I started my career at Goldman Sachs in the late 90s, it was right when the U.S. Treasury invented the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities Market. That's what tips stand for. They're treasuries, but they reset with one index, which is the consumer price index. And that's the thing that we really want to educate um, everyone on is CPI only is uh, one index. Nobody would ever buy the Dow Jones or the S&P or the NASDAQ and say, ta-da, I have equities. Why would you ever do that with something as big and as hard to measure as inflation? Um, supposedly, they're more they're more ETFs than, than publicly traded stocks, you know? So measuring corporate America is a lot smaller and should be a lot easier to do, but nobody would use one index to do it. And that's what tips do is they only reset with CPI. And the big challenge with just CPI is that it's calculated by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So the BLS calculates the basket and a third of the basket is what they call shelter, but it's actually owner-occupied rent. So we just don't think it's the most or only 
index to look at to measure inflation. And then we add another measure, which is using the interest rate markets, which is, I think, a very simple way to look at inflation expectations. You know, a lot of people look at what happened in the 70s using whether it's, you know, cyclical equities or um, commodities or real estate or infrastructure, things that were around in the 70s. Mm -hmm. The interest rate derivatives markets weren't there. They weren't around during that period. There were only bonds and stocks and commodities. And so I think it's a very simple way to capture inflation expectations in the future, which actually going back to your second part of your question about the Fed, the Fed has hawked it up. You know, Powell has been not in his actual hikes. He's only hiked um, 75 basis points of actual hikes have happened. But I'm looking at my Bloomberg screen. There's an additional. So this year alone, it's May 19th. Um, happy birthday to my brother, by the way. Jay's birthday. Um, <laughs> sorry, a little shout out for the fam. Um, there's only six and a half months left of the year. And the rates market is expecting the Fed to hike an additional 183 basis points this year alone on top of the 75 that has already been priced in. So the rates market has already moved expectations for hikes and the market, the rates market is thinking, okay, since the Fed is hiking, that's going to stop inflation. So the interest rate markets are actually priced for a disinflationary outcome, which is why we're so excited because we're like, this is a great time for people to buy future inflation expectations at levels that you know we really haven't seen for it's at 22 year woes you know the history of derivative markets we're trading near all-time woes because the market is incredibly complacent that these rate hikes are actually going to stop inflation right and so and there's a lot of doom and gloom talks that we're hearing in the markets what do you think the odds of us experiencing stagflation or recession or even both are you know i know a lot of people try to time the market and predict what's going to happen um, in the future, whether what policymakers are going to do or whether we're recession, inflation, stagflation. I, I don't think it's really possible for anybody to know with certainty what that is going to look like. And I think that comes back to the whole point of portfolio diversification is having things in the portfolio that don't all move down together at the same time. If we just take like, what's what's the point of asset allocation? And that's why I'm so excited going back to the rates market, because it's not stocks and it's not, you know, bonds of the same corporates and it's not governments, it's mostly treasuries. But then we have this other thing, which is non-correlated, at least historically. And that's why I think it's so attractive, because you want things that are not all going to be losing money at the same time. And I think investors have gotten very, um, with the exception of 2022, you've had stocks and bonds really rallying together. Um, that's unusual. That doesn't normally happen. And so right now, I think the market is much more concerned about stagflation, where we have higher prices and lower growth. And that's really bad for corporates, right? You've seen it with the earnings uh, announcements that are coming out. Mm -hmm. And if investors have stocks and bonds, but on the bond side, they have corporate bonds, which are you know investment grade, high yield, levered loans, floating rate notes, preferred, anything with spread risk to corporates is kind of a similar beta to equities because it's the same corporate, right? If you own you know XYZ's company stock, but then you also have a big position in their bonds and they have higher labor costs or supply side disruptions, or they can't meet consumer demand, and they miss earnings or their multiple goes down, you lose on both sides of the equation. So that's what we're really 
excited to, to educate investors about is saying like, look, this is a great time to be looking for things in the portfolio and don't look at what happened in the 70s because some of these markets weren't around the last time we had runaway inflation. But I think if you think about it, interest rates are a very, very simple way to think about inflation expectations. And you've touched on it a little bit. I mean, you're an asset manager. It's been a tough year for asset allocation. So how specifically do you think investors should navigate asset allocation in order to achieve their return objectives? Well, I think a lot of people are benchmarked to core fixed income. Um, core fixed income generally is benchmarked to an index, which used to be the Lehman Ag Index. Uh, then it was a Barclays Ag Index. Now it's called the Bloomberg Ag Index, but it's an old index. And so we really try to educate investors that the ag has zero, nothing for inflation protection. It has 40% approximately treasuries, but they're regular treasury bonds, not inflation protected treasuries. And then the ag has about a third of um, the index is mortgages, US mortgages. And I want to like grab people and shake them and be like, do you remember the financial crisis? Like, remember what happened? Mortgages are short convexity. That's a really nice way of saying short options, short volatility. And that's because homeowners, US residential homeowners can prepay that loan whenever they want to. The homeowner is long the option. The owner of the financial mortgage is short options to homeowners. And whenever you're short options, you're short convexity and you're short vol. So both of our ETFs, IVOL and BNDD, are long volatility and it's long interest rate volatility. And, and I try to educate people to be like, look, you are implicitly short fixed income volatility if you have mortgages in your portfolio. And most people do, and they have no idea that they have that embedded short convexity. And I think it's especially challenging as we go into June. You know, just think about it. May 19th, again, my brother's birthday. You know, the Fed just stopped buying bonds on March 9th. Like, it's barely been two months that they haven't been in buying every day in their quantitative easing. Now we're actually looking at potentially having quantitative tightening you know, I think it's a great time for investors to wake up and be like, if you don't own, you know, a long fixed income volatility ETF like Ival in your portfolio, you're already short fixed income ball from your mortgage exposure. Okay. On your company website, um, as part of the Ival presentation, you indicate that the strategy is agnostic to the level of interest rates on Ival. For for the novice investors, what yeah. do you mean specifically for over the counter rates? So what we mean is not treasury rates. So the okay. Fed has been doing, um, you know, there are lots of different interest rates in U.S. dollars, right? There's treasury rates. Mm -hmm. There's SOFR now, which replaced LIBOR. There's OIS. You right, might remember hearing about that in the financial crisis. There are lots of different dollar denominated interest rates. We like to use the swap rates, which is where every single corporate and sovereign in the world, when they issue bonds in U.S. dollars, they go and hedge their rate risk in swaps because they don't have to pay for them. They don't have to put up cash to buy treasuries. And that also is a more global market. So, you know, whether it's a kingdom of Saudi Arabia or, um, you know, AstraZeneca or Sony, anyone who issues bonds and dollars uses that market. So it's a ginormous market. And we also think it's a better market, in my opinion, to own this long optionality because we make money with the spread widening between short and long dated rates with IVOL. That's why we say it's interest rate agnostic. So if rates were 
you know, 1% or 6%, it doesn't really matter where the level of interest rates are for the options piece. We just want the spread between short and long dated rates to widen. And it's actually pretty exciting because the one year forward rate right now, because of so many Fed hikes being priced in, mm -hmm. it's actually negative 12 basis points. So think about that. That means like it one year forward, if you know, I was to lend you money as a lender, I would get paid more yield to lend you money out two years than I would 10 years. Right. And that's the market really pricing in this disinflationary low growth environment, that inverted yield curve. Wow, Nancy, thanks so much for those insights. We appreciate your time today. Nancy Davis of Quadratic Capital Management. Now back to Seeking Alpha's Kim Khan for next week's Catalyst Watch. It's a busy week still for retail earnings as we talked about how it impacted the market earlier. Um, we've got um, Alibaba and Dollar General and a few others that are that are gonna you know, make a big impact. And also we're looking at um, a big uh, JP Morgan telecom and tech conference that usually makes uh, a lot of noise. But what I will be looking at is uh, McDonald's annual meeting. Um, they have just exited Russia. Um, they may reportedly have a buyer for all their franchises already, but I think that will be a big thing. It's always gonna have geopolitics mixed up with a shareholder meeting. Kim, thanks for that. That wraps up this week. Stay safe and have a great weekend.